Please turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We continue our walk through the Bible. We're in Matthew. As, as Brother Anthony mentioned, it is Palm Sunday. We do think of, of our King who came into Jerusalem. And I think Ted has palms. Ted always gets palms for us. So uh, he has those for you afterwards if you would like a palm. But we get to hear the words of our King again this morning in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Father, we pray that You would help us rightly understand the words of Jesus. He did not pull punches. Talked about millstones and Drowning in the depths of the sea. That's Jesus. Grace and love and mercy in the flesh spoke that way. Warned that way. And yet, Father, we get so discouraged when we hear sermons that speak that way. But Jesus, You spoke that way. Do we know the right Jesus? Do we want to hear from the Jesus of the Bible? Or God, have we made a gentle, chubby Jesus of our own making? Speaks the way we want Him to speak. Father, we pray You give us eyes to see what Your Word says. That we would rightly divide the Word. That we would rightly hear what Christ has to say to us today. Lord, we ask that You would humble us. We, we want to rightly understand what it means to be a little child. And God, we want to be little children. We want to be these little children that, that You talk about here. We, we don't want to cause uh, one of these little ones to stumble. We, Lord, we want to follow You. We want to be Your children. We want to be in the kingdom. We, we want to hear Your words, Jesus, and, and obey them. We want to love You, the biblical Jesus, and not the one we've imagined. Lord, help us rightly hear and see Jesus today. And, and we do pray that we would be changed, that we would have an encounter with You, the living God, by Your Spirit, through Your Word, the sword of the Spirit, and that we would truly be changed today, God. Yes, Lord. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. One commentator referring to Matthew chapter 18 said this is the single greatest discourse our Lord ever gave on life among the redeemed people in His church. 
And so we get to begin this chapter 18 where Jesus focuses in on life as the people of God, as, as the church. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus is the God-man who knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows everything and can do all things. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, but who humbles Himself so that we might be free. Free from sin, free to obey Him, and free to win others to Him. And we saw that Jesus humbled Himself last week and paid that temple tax that he didn't have to pay because he's the son of the living God. He didn't have to pay it, but he humbled himself and he paid it. And this week we see that Jesus expects those who follow him to humble themselves just like he did. Jesus is the God-man who must be received in humility like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who receive Jesus will love and serve the least and most insignificant of the children of God. That's the purpose statement of this sermon. Jesus is the God-man who must be received in humility like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who receive Jesus will love and serve the least and most insignificant of the children of God. If you have the emails I send out, you can pull them up on your phone right now and you have this whole outline and you can follow along as we go through it together. Point number one, Jesus' disciples desire greatness. Look at, look at 18.1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You think this is a good question to ask? Or this is a bad thing to be wanting to know? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? (laughs) I think what if someone came up to me after the sermon and said, Pastor, who is the greatest in the congregation? Who's the greatest? Look at all this work I did yesterday. Who's the greatest? It's not a good thing. Jesus' disciples once argued about who among them was the greatest in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verses 33 through 34, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? He asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued. They argue about this question. They argued with one another about who was the greatest. Can you, can you picture that? The disciples of Jesus. No, I'm the greatest. No, 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 no. He's the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm great. Look what I did. Peter, you just got called Satan. You ain't the greatest. I'm the greatest. I mean, they argued about this. Who is the greatest? I, I want to take a a short little detour and just think about a a small investigation of why we desire greatness in a sinful way like these disciples. And I would argue that ever since the fall of mankind into sin, ever ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, uh, 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 and even because they did, the reason they did, is, is every heart of every person wants to be the greatest. Every heart of every fallen sinful person, which is everybody, 
wants to be the greatest. We want to be the greatest. Now, we, we've, a lot of us have been Christians long enough to know how to talk about it in, in, in the way that we don't. Oh, you, we get a compliment. Oh, praise God. But we like it. We know we're to deflect praise to God, and that's right. That's good. That's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. But we have to ask the question, does my heart really feel that, or do I like this? Do I like this thanks and praise? Do I need this thanks and praise? Do I get all in a huff when people don't thank me? No, we love to be the greatest. We want to be the greatest. This is the problem at the fall. Genesis 3, 4 through 5. Remember the serpent talking to the woman and convincing her that it's okay to disobey God. And and the devil said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Beloved, our problem is that we want to be like God. We want to be, God's the greatest. (laughs) God is the greatest. No one and nothing is ever greater than God. No one and nothing is greater than God. We, we want to know all things. We want to be in control of all things. And we want to call the shots in our lives and in other people's lives. This desire to be the greatest, you could call pride, is, is central to every sin. If I was asked what's central in every sin, I would say five, five things. Pride, unbelief, idolatry, disobedience, and lack of love. Pride's one of them. This desire to be the greatest. Think, think of violence and anger. What was the first murder in the Bible? When Cain killed Abel, killed his own brother, he wanted to be greater than Abel. He was angry because God regarded Abel's sacrifice and not his, so he killed him. Cain wanted to be the greatest. He wanted to be like God and take the power to kill into his own hands. When 1 Samuel 2, 6 says, the Lord kills and brings to life. It's not your place, Cain. But he wanted to be like God in a wrong way. Think about sexual sin. God says sex belongs to Him. Sex is God's idea. Sex is His gift to His people, and He knows how best to enjoy it. So He says, no sex before marriage. No sex before marriage. He says marriage is between one man and one woman. God says homosexuality is a sin. God says He made man male and female. There's only two genders. But we want to be the greatest. We want to be God. And we want to do what we want to do instead of what God says. Idolatry. We talked about this Wednesday night. Idolatry is loving anything more than God. It's loving anything as much as God. It's loving anything anywhere near as much as we love God. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But we want to be the greatest. We want to determine what and who is best for us to love first and foremost. We want to love and worship what we want to worship. 
But Jesus' basic call is to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. John Piper said, the chief pleasure of our fallen nature is self-exaltation. Our sinful nature loves to be praised for what we are and what we have done. But you see, for, for us who want to follow and please God, that's a big problem. Because God hates pride. God hates pride. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 6, 16-17, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. What's first on the list? Haughty eyes. Pride. God hates pride. Unbelievers who may be with us here this morning, and I'm glad that you're here, we're glad that you're here, do you see this pride of your heart? Do you see yourself in, in the disciples here this morning? Do you see the decisions that you make and the motivations to do what you do mainly revolve around you and what you want and what make you happy and not around God and others and what God says in His Word? Friend, this is a great sin. This, this sin of pride and wanting to, to, to be the greatest and to take God's place and do what you want, when you want, how you want it, is, is sin. And this is why all of us stand condemned before God. This is why we all deserve hell. Because we have turned from God to our own way. And we've broken His commandments by being violent, by losing our temper, by being angry. Our, our anger, our anger. You know, we talked about murder, but we, we get sinfully angry and murder in our heart because we don't get our way. We want to be God and make everything go our way. And when it doesn't go our way, we get angry and murder in our heart. And because of this, we and all sinners deserve God's wrath and judgment in hell forever and ever and ever where the fire is not quenched. And the fire burns forever. But the good news is that we have a Savior. The good news of the Gospel is that we have a Savior who did it right. Who was utterly dependent upon His Father. Who trusted in His Father perfectly. And who humbled Himself to the point of being a slave. And died the gruesome death that we deserve for our sins. He took the wrath and curse and judgment of God. The king, the king entered into Jerusalem lowly and riding on a donkey, which showed his, his, his humility and his, his kingly statue, stature. And he would go to die. He would go to die and suffer and face the curse and wrath that we deserve for our pride and our desire to be the greatest. And he would be buried and He would rise on the third day so that all who repent, all who turn from sin and believe in Him might be saved. Come on now. Come on. Friend, have you believed in Him? Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned from your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus? We want everyone to do that today. You can't earn this. You can't work for it. There are... Muslims during this season, they're fasting because they, they have to get to heaven by works. 
they think they can get there by works. They have to fast. And so they do this Ramadan fast. I, I watched a video, David Wood calls it ram it down, not Ramadan, because they, they actually eat a lot more food than they normally do. Ram it down. And they think they're going to get their way to heaven by doing these kinds of things. We can't do anything to get to heaven. We can't work to get to heaven. We, we, we can't earn salvation. We, we can simply receive what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the only way to God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, believe on Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the good news of the Gospel. See Jesus' mercy in this text. I mean, see Jesus' mercy. The men Jesus chose as His ambassadors had this problem of sinful, worldly, proud ambition. Did you notice that? It is amazing to think of who Jesus chose to be His ambassadors. When you, you think about some of the ways we look and choose people for certain things, Jesus chose these guys. What a merciful Savior. What a merciful Savior to choose sinful, weak, proud, arrogant, arguing about who's the greatest man to be the ones through whom He would bring salvation to the world and get His message out. What a merciful Savior. They wanted to be the greatest, but see how Jesus tenderly, lovingly, and patiently teaches them, bears with them, walks with them, instructs them, humbles them, never leaves them. We have a merciful Savior, compassionate Savior, loving Savior. Point number two, Jesus teaches that everyone must turn and become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verses 2-3. through three. And calling to Him a child, He put Him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be like if, if we, we were having a church meeting and, and all this arguing was going on about who is the greatest and who did the most and who's this and who should, who should get to be an elder and who should get to be a deacon and who should get to do this and who should get to do that. And, and, and the leader said, please be quiet. Come up here, John Owen. Not really. But all this bickering among adults. You say, come up here, John Owen, little, little boy. Unless you turn and be like him. It's not about you being the greatest. You ain't even going to get in. Unless you become and, and be like him. This little baby. That's what Jesus did. He called a child. This word can mean infant. It could be little baby Mia. It could be a toddler. We're not exactly certain the age, but he called a little child. And he set this child in the midst and said, Truly I say to you, 
unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls a child to Himself and uses this child as an illustration of what we must be like in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Craig Bloomberg comments, this text should make us uncomfortable. The disciples' concern was who is the greatest in the kingdom, which one of us is greatest. Jesus replies, unless you change, you will never enter the kingdom. Come on now. And so we see the necessity of turning and becoming like little children. We must turn. We, we must turn from this desire to be the greatest. We must turn from trusting in ourselves and in everything else except God. We must turn from pride. We must turn from wanting to be God and having things our way. We must be born again to enter the kingdom. We're so set on this desire to be great. We need a heart change, a whole heart change to totally be born again and we must repent we must change directions we were we're we're born all of us headed toward self and sin and and death and hell and we must change directions turn and 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 go toward god and righteousness and holiness and humility and god has to give us this god has to do this <laughs> Westminster Shorter Catechism 87 asks the question, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Repentance is a gift from God and we must repent. We must be born again and we can't do anything to cause ourselves to be born again. God must do it. David Platt says, to be a citizen of the kingdom, you must become a child of the king. You must turn from yourself and trust in the Father. Like a child, you thrust yourself upon God and confess your need for Him. What does it mean to become like children? Th th this for me was the most helpful part of this study. Uh, uh, it, it, it does not mean that children are innocent, pure, and sinless. Be like children. It's, it's not about the, the character, character of the child in any way. Oh, children are more trusting. Oh, children are more this. They're more apt to do this. Oh, children are innocent and pure. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus means at all. If you've ever thought that, if you've ever read stuff like that in commentaries, they're all wrong. It's not about the characteristics of the child. It's about the status of the child. Because if you're a parent, you know your child ain't humble. <laughs> if, you, if you're a parent, you know your child don't trust like they should. I mean, they're not the model in that sense. Children, this is, this is not saying children are innocent, pure, and sinless, so be like them. It's not about the character of children. It's about the status of children. They are utterly dependent. And they were viewed as insignificant in that culture. So what does it mean? It means that we must realize we are utterly dependent upon God and we must utterly depend on God. 
All little babies can do, one pastor said, is hope and cry. They're absolutely dependent on an adult to take care of them. We must become like children. We, we must realize we are absolutely dependent upon God for everything. We cannot do it in our own strength. We can't do life in our own strength. We, we can't even come to God and repent and be saved in our own strength. We, we, we must become like children. I need you. I need you. I need you, Father. I can't do this, Father. I can't do this. I can't preach right now that it would have any good effect. I can't teach Bible study. I can't raise my children. I can't do this marriage. I can't do this relationship. I can't do this walk with Christ. I can't do my job. I, I, I can't do seminary school. I, I can't do my new job next week, Isaac. Isaac got a job, praise God. We've been praying for his, 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 his. Uh, papers to come so he can work in, in, in the U.S. and they came through, God answers prayer and now he gets to start work. He, God provided a job for him in less than like a week. Uh, uh, and, 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 but he can't do that without God. And so it's the status of the dependence of the child Jesus is talking about and, and it means that we must humble ourselves. And, 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 and it, it, again, in the sense of humble status, it means we must humble ourselves like Jesus and take the lowest place. The children have the lowest place. They have that status. It's not that they humble themselves because they're just so humble. No, they have the lowest status. It's about status, not character. And Jesus humbled himself to the lowest status. He who is the greatest humbled himself to the lowest. It means we must humble ourselves like Jesus and take the lowest place. It means we must die to the desire to be great. We must die to the desire to be important and significant. We must be willing to be rejected and despised. We must be willing to take the lowest position to be unknown. Craig Blumberg comments, this humility cannot be a subjective attitude. Children rarely act humbly but an objective state. Children do depend almost entirely on the adult world for their protection and provision. R.T. France comments, a child was a person of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. To turn and become like children is therefore a radical reorientation from the mentality of the rat race to achieve significance to an acceptance of insignificance. It is then the status of the child that is the point, rather than any supposedly characteristic quality of children, Amen. such as humility, innocence, receptiveness, or trustfulness. And how many parents would regard at least the first two as characteristics of children? In other words, these commentators take pains to say, why would you even think that, especially if you've got kids? <laughs> it's not about the character. Vipers in a diaper, one says. Essentially, to become a child is to become like Jesus. Jesus wholly depended on His heavenly Father and on the power of the Holy Spirit. John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only 
do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And Jesus humbled himself to the lowest position. Philippians 2, 5-11, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus is going to say the same thing. Unless you humble yourself like this little child. He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it means to become a child and enter the kingdom, become like Jesus. Depend wholly on the Father. Depend wholly on God. And take that status of insignificance like Christ did. Jesus teaches that childlike humility leads to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Notice, notice it's not wrong to want to be great. <laughs> it's not wrong to want to be great. But what does it mean to be great in the kingdom? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom? Whoever would be first must be last and servant of all. It's not wrong to want to be first. What does that mean according to Jesus? Be last and slave of all. Jesus teaches that childlike humility leads to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When you humble yourself like a child, when you realize that you are utterly dependent on God and trust in God, and when you take the position of a child, this low, humble, insignificant position, when you cease to care about greatness in the eyes of the world, then you get the greatness of heaven and you are the greatest in the kingdom. Those who most see their need for God, which, by the way, is clearly shown by your prayer life. <laughs> How dependent on God do you think you are? How humble are you? Well, what does your prayer life look like? Because if we don't think we need God, then we don't pray much, do we? <laughs> but if we, we're desperate for God, like I, I, I know times in my life where God's put me in situations where I don't even know how I'm going to make it through the day. I mean, it's hard. He, he like, he like sweeps the rug out from under me and I'm just like, Lord, help me. I can't do today. I can't do today. Help me, help me, help me. Read Isaiah 45 times. I, I, I need you. I need you. I need you. Sometimes God does that. He has to, 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 to remove things that we're comfortable with to, to press us to the place of prayer. When we, when, when, when he, we, we, we realize how much we need God, we see our need for God, we pray to Him, and, and, and those who do that and those who trust God the most and those who humble themselves the most, like Jesus did, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. People you may never hear of. People you may never hear of are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. R.T. France says, true greatness is to be found in being little. 
true importance, being unimpressive. This is what the kingdom of heaven does to the world's scales of values. Humbles himself does not refer to an arbitrary asceticism or phony false modesty. It does not describe a character trait as if children are untempted to self-advancement. Really? But the acceptance of an inferior position as Jesus did, Philippians 2.8, where the same phrase is used. He humbled himself to be a slave to the point of death. Beloved, pray to become like a child. Pray that God would grant you this. To be like little children in total dependence on God and in willingness to, to live in the most insignificant status and place. Pray that God would grant you, pray that God would grant your pastor, your elders, your leaders, this church, all of us, God make us like children. God must grant it, Matthew eleven twenty five through 26 At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And beloved, don't be afraid to take the lowest position. Don't, don't be afraid to pursue the lowest position. I, I, I love the story of William Carey, missionary to India, while attending a British social function as he served as a missionary in India, this self-important British high-ranking political officer sneered at him and outwardly intended to ridicule William Carey. And so when they were in clear earshot speaking of Carey, this, this high official said, why Carey is just a shoemaker. Trying to put him in his place. This William Carey, he's just a shoemaker. Who is he? To which William Carey humbly replied, Oh, no, sir. I'm just a shoe repairman. I love that. He went even lower. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm, don't, don't, don't heighten me to the level of a shoemaker. I'm not even that. I'm just a shoe repairman. That's what it means to be a little child. Ligon Duncan says, Thomas Akempis, the great medieval author, once said, he is genuinely great who considers himself small and cares nothing about high honors. And one Christian said, great men never know that they are great, but small men never know that they are small. Great men are so given to doing what the Lord has called them to do that they never stop to think about their personal greatness. But small men are so wrapped up in themselves that they never realize that they are midgets. God calls us to that kind of self-effacing, self-forgetful quest for kingdom greatness, which is utterly different than the greatness and success that the world offers. May we pursue this childlike humility that Jesus calls us to. Next, Jesus teaches that those who receive children in His name receive Him. And so those who are humble, like children, will serve in humility. They will serve in humility by receiving children in His name. Look at verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in My name receives Me. To receive means to welcome, love, serve, help, show hospitality to. We are to welcome such children Jesus is describing with open arms and with love and with compassion and meet their needs. 
Who is the one such child Jesus' disciples are to receive? (laughs) Who is the one such child that Jesus' disciples are to receive? Um, Pastors and commentators are all over the map on this. (laughs) Well, at least your Presbyterian ones. Your, Your Presbyterians, they like to see this as literal children. Who, well, it, who is Jesus talking about receiving? This child standing in their midst? Like the, the actual child who's there? Well, we should love and serve children. We should. We, we should love and, and serve children. God loves children. Jesus loves children. Uh, the disciples in other places in the Gospels didn't want Jesus to be bothered with children. That, that shows you the, the, the kind of status that they have. Don't bother with these children. Let's get on the important people. Uh, but Jesus says, no. Jesus rebukes them. Let the children come to me. And so we know that Jesus loves children, cares for children. It's important that we care for children. But that may not be the main point here. And I say may because I'm not certain myself. It may not be the main point here. Uh, Jesus may be talking about those who are lowly, humble, and insignificant in society. And that's true. We, we, we should care about the poor. Uh, I, I, was, I had dinner with a friend, uh, 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 and he read this book by Craig Blomberg on poverty and riches, a biblical theology of caring for the poor, and, and it moved him and his, his wife to consider adoption because the, the, the Bible so emphasizes care for the poor. Caring for the poor is a big deal to God. And so we should care for the Humble, lowly, insignificant in the world. Yes, but again, that may not be the main point here. What, what do I think may be the main point? The lowly, humble, insignificant followers of Christ in the world. I think Jesus is saying when He says, Who, whoever receives one such child, what has He just got done describing? Those who humble themselves like this child. One such child. Those who humble themselves like children and enter the kingdom. And the next verse he says, little ones who believe in me. And so, if context is king, which it should be when we read the Bible, it seems Jesus is saying, those who receive this one such child being the lowly, humble, insignificant followers of Jesus Christ who receive the kingdom like a child. Jesus used an actual child as an illustration of what it means to be a true follower of Christ and enter the kingdom. You must turn and be like a child and humble yourself like a child. Receive one such child as I've just described, those who are going to enter the kingdom. These little ones, verse 6, who believe in me. And as many of you know, I'm a both-and kind of guy instead of an either-or kind of guy. And Leon Morris says, most commentators agree that little ones include not only small children, but lowly believers. The Bible teaches we should receive all those groups with the tender love of Christ. Children, lowly and insignificant in society, and lowly, insignificant believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, beloved, this text says this receiving, Jesus says this receiving should be done in His name, in Jesus' name. 
We receive children and the small, unimportant, insignificant in the world, and especially in the church, because Jesus does so, and for His glory and honor, we do it for Him. We do it for Him. We do it for Christ. We do it in the name of Jesus. When we, when we give out food on Tuesday, pray for us. <laughs> pray for us when we do that. If you have time, if you're free and you're a member of our church, come out at 9 o'clock because we need help. We got, we got a plan this week. We're going to make them line up in a single file line. But we, we do this in the name of Jesus. We give that food away in the name of Jesus for Jesus' sake. We're to do what we do in the name of Christ because He did it, because He loved the poor, and because He deserves and should get all the glory and honor. We do it in His name. To receive small, unimportant, and insignificant believers, Jesus says, is to receive Christ Himself. Those who receive such people, when received in His name, receive Jesus. Remember, children were seen as small, unimportant, insignificant, the very opposite of the greatest. Jesus says when you receive the smallest, most unimportant, and most insignificant in His name for His glory, you receive Him. You receive Him. I was visiting a church recently with our new member, Steve DeHaze, and uh, he was analyzing the interactions that we had with people. And so, so we'll go to these churches and we'll meet people. And, and, you know, sometimes they ask, well, where do you go to church? Well, we go to Oni Baptist Church. And then they say, well, who's the pastor? And well, I'm the pastor. And, and, and we've noticed how when people find out I'm the pastor, their eyes light up. Oh, oh, you're the pastor. Oh, well, well, oh, that's so nice and wonderful. And oh, you're the pastor. Kind of thing. I mean, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but you, you know what I mean. Um, and, and so we, we spoke at this church to the pastor there for a while, and we were getting ready to leave, and this, this, this lady walked up to our little group, and she had an obvious disability. And... Steve told me later in the week that that woman should have been the one who was most honored. This has profound impact on who you'll speak to after church today. how you view who's important. We want to honor those who Jesus honors in the right way, for the right reason, in the name of Christ. And when you do that, you receive Christ. You honor Christ. Matthew 25, 37-40 Jesus says, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me.
You did it to me. Sinclair Ferguson says, if it is still true today that your attitude to those who have no standing in society reflects your attitude to the Lord Jesus, what kind of disciple are you? I've said this before, if you want to measure, I'm sure I read this somewhere, if you want to measure the health of your relationship with God, consider how you're doing at loving the Christian brother or sister that you have the hardest time getting along with. We cannot say we love God and hate our brothers. 1 John 4.20 The disciples and we must receive Jesus for who He is. Remember, Peter didn't want to receive Christ for who he was. No, Lord, you will never suffer. (laughs) Peter didn't want to receive Christ as the suffering slave. No, that will never happen to you. But Jesus came as the suffering slave of God. Again, Sinclair Ferguson, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. In that language, the word for child also serves as the word for servant, like the French garçon. Was he saying, it is only when you learn to receive me as the servant of the Lord in my acts of humility that you will really be submitted to God. We must receive Jesus for who He is. He is the one who would be treated as the most insignificant. He would be treated. He would would be. He would become the most insignificant when He died on that cross and suffered the wrath of God. We must receive Jesus for who He is. You must receive Jesus in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is why I don't like reformed writers who badmouth language receive Christ into your heart. I just don't like that. Because it's biblical. It's not good to say things are wrong when Jesus says it. I'm going to go with Jesus. John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who did receive Him into your heart, Ephesians 3, Paul says. Now, how do we do that? By repenting and believing. But to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You better receive Him into your heart. You're going to hell if you don't. (laughs) We must receive Him. And and beloved, to receive Him is to receive God. Matthew 10.40 Whoever receives you receives me, Jesus said. And whoever receives me receives Him who sent me. If you receive Jesus, then you receive God. Jesus is God. We must receive Him. And then finally, point number five. Jesus teaches that those who cause these believing children to sin will be severely judged by God. Look at verse six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. We want to be careful with our words as believers. We, 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 we want to be careful what we teach. Right? This, this kind of verse should make pastors and people who teach tremble. 
I, I don't want to lead you astray by what I teach you about the Word of God. I don't want to lead you into sin. I don't want to lead you away from Jesus. We, we should be careful with our words. We, we should be careful with our actions. How we live. We, we are, are living testimonies to the people around us, especially children. And, and, and so parents, you, you, you are either pointing your children to Jesus by the words you pour into them, by bringing them here, or you're causing them to stumble, and Jesus gives a horrific warning about that. This is serious. This is not me, an angry preacher. I'm just quoting Jesus here. And I've got to talk about this in the way that Jesus talks about it. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. This is serious. Jesus takes this seriously. What is this communicating to us? Jesus really loves His little ones. I mean, this is what He's saying to us. Jesus really loves His little ones, children who believe, and lowly believers. Jesus really loves them. We ought to be careful how we talk to other believers in Christ. Jesus loves them. He cares for them. We should be careful where we lead them to. What we say to them. How we teach God's Word. That we get it right. Doctrine is important. Jesus doesn't like it when we lead people astray by what we teach. That's one of the reasons I read so many commentaries and listen to so many sermons on the same passage the week I'm preaching it because I'm scared to death of telling y'all something wrong. And I don't trust myself. Jesus loves His little ones. Secondly, we see from this, Jesus really hates sin. He really hates sin. Don't lead one of these little ones who believe in me into sin. Don't lead them away from Christ. He hates sin. And, and, and third, we see Jesus will severely judge those who cause His little ones to sin. Those who deceive them and lead them away from Jesus. Jesus says here that drowning in death would be better than what they'll have to face in hell forever. That's some strong language from Jesus. He's saying it would be better for those people to have a millstone, this, this heavy uh, uh, rock stone that, 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 that they use to, to mill. It would be better for you to have that tied around your neck and be thrown in the sea and drown and die. That would be a better end for you than what you're going to face by my Father in hell if you lead little ones astray. And praise God that Jesus came so that we might never face that hell.
who repent and believe. Beloved, let's think about the humility of the incarnation. God took on human flesh. You want to you talk about taking the lowly status? <laughs> the God of the universe took on human flesh. And on that cross, Jesus was counted and treated as the smallest, the most unimportant, and the most insignificant so that we could be saved. We must receive the bloody, humbled Christ by faith alone so that we might be saved from all of our prideful sin. And God raised Him up from the dead to reign over all. And He poured out His Holy Spirit on His church to help us turn away from pride and self and focus on Christ and on loving others. Spurgeon said it is ever, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You'll never be able to continue to the end. And you have not the joy of His children. You have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All these are thoughts about self. And we will never find comfort or assurance by looking within. By the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold on Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to your hand with which you are grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to your hope, but Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, we must do so by looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes simply on Him. Let His death, His sufferings, His merits, His glories, His intercession be fresh on your mind. When you wake in the morning, look to Him. When you lie down at night, look to Him. Oh, let not your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after Him, and He will never fail you. We need to look to Christ, right? After those hard words of Jesus about having a millstone tied around necks and drowning the sea, we need to look to Christ. We need to look to Jesus because He's my only hope. He's my only hope to do it right. He's my only hope to not lead little children astray. He's my only hope to teach you faithfully. He's my only hope to do what I need to do to be faithful to what He's called me and you to do. Jesus humbled Himself, small, as the servant of all, and now stands tall as the greatest of all. The disciples had a discussion on the way. The pride of their hearts, it did betray. From the greatness of Christ, they turned away. And when He asked what, they would not say. For they knew in their hearts they'd gone astray. Pride and envy are man's bad way. On your soul, these vipers pray. Vipers within their venom spray. Grant death to self is what we pray. For our Christ came all pride to slay. Through death He'd take this sin away and rise in victory the third day to save our souls from self-decay. Enable us to love display and turn from self. Give all away. So trust in Him and then obey. For He was humble, showed the way, and died and rose our pride to slay. So Christ is all we would display. If you want to be first, you must be last. So embrace with joy the lowest cast. 
Be servant of all, regardless of class, even to those sad, alone, and harassed. Then in God's sight, as the first, you'll stand fast, because our great King took the greatest last. As suffering servant, His love's unsurpassed. God spared Him no wrath, though He cried and asked, then rose up alive, forgiving your past. Now rest in His love, an ocean vast. A child is least they did believe. He said, a child you must receive. In this a humble heart achieve. To all your pride you die and leave. To Christ is all alone you cleave. For He was least and He would grieve. Upon that cross God's wrath receive and die with those who steal and thieve. Then rise your guilt to all relieve. If Him alone you would believe. He's greater than you can conceive. Oh, what a wonder. The incarnation where God made man His habitation. May it lead to worship and prostration. And become man in humble summation. Our Creator took upon Himself creation to grant His people such a great salvation. As they nailed Him to the cross in utter degradation, He made their blood flow through heart circulation. He's the servant beyond any explanation who humbled Himself beyond expectation. He's worthy of all our praise and adoration for He rose from the grave, His kingly coronation. Christ Jesus, trust and do receive. Humbly like a child believe. By this true greatness you'll achieve. Heaven's kingdom joys retrieve. No more tears or pains you'll grieve. For Jesus died and rose to heave all sins into the sea. He'll leave. By faith alone all wrath relieved. We love and serve the least conceived. No little children will deceive. But to our Christ like babies cleave. Our whole lives for good He'll weave. He grants us pleasures none conceive. He's God the Son. We praise, believe. Jesus is the God-man who must be received in humility like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who receive Jesus will love and serve the least and most insignificant of the children of God. Father, we pray that You would help us do this. Lord, we, we, we want to change and be like little children. We want to humble ourselves to the lowly, lowly position that we are. We want to believe what is true about us, God. We want to die to self. We want to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses and follow You. Lord, we want to receive the lowest, the humble, the insignificant, the least in Your name. Lord Jesus, we want to be like You and we want to receive You. And so help us, God, become like little children. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.